I want to also uh, show you our Congress, which, not surprisingly, is doing jack other than trying to protect their donors. Uh, as Matt Stoller, uh, follow him on Twitter, he's fantastic, has been tweeting about, this is a corporate coup. Just take this bill down. It's useless except for big business. The bill he's talking about that McConnell, Pelosi, Mnuchin are all meeting about right now. Uh, Republicans are refusing to add strong worker protections. Shocker. The language says corporations must keep employees, quote, to the extent possible. You know what that reminds me of, to the extent possible? You ever have, you know, you get a job and at the end of the job, it has that little sentence like, and other duties as needed, which means like we could have you do a completely different job that's, that not, that's not within your job description as needed. So when Mitch McConnell and Pelosi will agree to this because she's spineless, uh, says to the extent possible, it means none of your jobs will be protected by this bill. Democrats offered loan forgiveness if 90 plus percent of employees were retained. About 100% of employees are retained. The Mnuchin bailout fund has virtually no restraints. It's all at the discretion of the Treasury Secretary. Trump administration could give dollars to Trump properties, I'm sure. Republicans are refusing to increase dollars for hospitals, but have increased corporate bailout fund to $500 billion. This doesn't include dollars for the airlines. Very weak stock buyback restrictions that could be waived by the Treasury Secretary, Mnuchin. Only a two-year limit on increasing executive compensation and only, going, only giving loans to airlines, which will result in tens of thousands of layoffs. Unions want grants. So what's amazing about this, what's amazing about this bill, which I promise you Pelosi will agree pretty much to most of this bill. Um, what's amazing about this, uh, do you hear anything about the Democrats pushing for direct, direct monthly cash payments? Do you hear anything about mortgage, freeze, uh, freeze on mortgages, freeze on car payments, freeze on electric bills? Free, freeze on utilities, freeze on student loans. I don't hear anything in there. Basically, all of these corporations, I saw, I saw yesterday, I tweeted about it. Literally, these senators are having to urge, urge Jeff Bezos to give his workers paid sick leave. Let that sink in for a second. Jeff Bezos, who last year was making, was making $60,000 every minute. Every minute, Jeff Bezos was making $60,000 last year. I think per day, when you factor in stocks, he was making over $200,000 a year. Jeff Bezos has to be convinced to pay his workers sick pay. I want to show you this video from a McDonald's worker. Credit to the New York Times for actually showing the plight of the workers. Take a look at this. I worked at McDonald's for over 10 years. On that face that you see that have served you your hash brown for breakfast, maybe a quarter pounder for lunch, and they even gave you a McFlurry to top off your dinner menu. So I ask you, if I caught the coronavirus, would you want me making your next meal? There are 500,000 McDonald's workers, just like me, that have to go to work, whether sick or well, because we have no paid sick leave. I currently make $11.50. I live paycheck to paycheck. The sixth day for me is lost wages. I literally have to be damn near on my deathbed to take a full-blown sick day. The missed check is the difference between me having a roof over me and my family's head versus us being homeless. Welcome to McDonald's, may I take your order? McDonald's is one of the largest employers in the world. There are hundreds of thousands of McDonald's workers that touch millions of customers' food each day. There is nothing so clean as my burger machine. The CDC found that 20% of food service workers go to work even exhibiting signs of vomiting or diarrhea. And I should know, I'm one of those workers. Last week, I was under the weather. 
I was sick to the point where I had to leave the grill to go to the restroom and I wound up vomiting. And I could have been sent home with paid sick leave and not have to worry about coming to work sick because I don't have to worry about how my bills are going to get covered for the days that I missed. Hello, McFamily. Last week, McDonald's did roll out a coronavirus plan stating that anybody that's quarantined will be paid. Protecting the well-being of our people and our customers is our number one priority. But you guys, don't be fooled. That's only for corporate-owned McDonald's. But 95% of McDonald's are franchise stores, including my store. So that does not benefit us whatsoever. Today, the Senate has taken up coronavirus legislation. This week, the government passed a law that enables people that have the coronavirus to get paid time off. Two weeks of paid sick leave. The bill does have an exemption for businesses with 500 employees. Depending on how you look at it, it only covers about 20% of workers. Republicans made it so that doesn't apply to big businesses, such as McDonald's. And listen closely, that's only with the coronavirus. What about the flu? What about the next outbreak? What then? McDonald's has the power to make it so anybody in a McDonald's uniform that wears the McDonald's logo, like I do, could be provided with paid sick leave, especially during this critical time. Companies can change this. Since this coronavirus pandemic, Olive Garden has given their employees paid sick leave, not just during this time, but for good. So we know that McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Subway, they can all do it as well, but they just have chosen not to. McDonald's could provide paid sick leave for hundreds of thousands of its workers right now, here today. Well, with that being said, off to work I go. Y'all have a blessed day. In America, in the United Corporations of America, if Bernie Sanders was still running an aggressive presidential campaign, where, which it looks like he's not, and we're going to get to that. Um, I got a question. What is Joe Biden going to do for that McDonald's worker after this pandemic goes away? Because we're going to have, whether it's a, another health pa pandemic, whether it's when the inferno comes to your neck of the woods, the climate crisis, climate refugees, we're going to have Situations in the next five to ten years, whether it's health, whether it's climate change, whatever, where people can't work. What is Joe Biden going to do for those people? What is President Trump going to do for those people? If Bernie was still running an aggressive presidential campaign, the, the opportunities are endless right now to actually put the Put the policies and the uh, things that you've been pushing for for five years to put them out there in a situation where everybody now is aware. Everybody now is feeling it. Everybody now, maybe people before, even older people who, who never really thought that much about, well, why don't we have paid sick leave? Why, don't my, why isn't my Social Security uh, expanded during uh, a, a pandemic? Why isn't there a, a national law to freeze mortgages, student loans, utility bills, rent, all those things in the case that the nation has to be shut down? This right now is an opportunity if Bernie wanted to actually go on offense that could actually, because the primary is not over, win him a lot of states. But as we're going to see, he refuses to do that. And I'm just going to be real. He refuses to do that because Joe Biden doesn't have an answer for these things. He's going to say, well, it's an emergency now, so we'll take care of it. Well, what about the day-to-day -day emergency that that McDonald's worker is dealing with? When the pandemic is gone and that McDonald's worker is nauseous or that McDonald's worker is a diabetic and forgets his insulin pen or that McDonald's worker gets cancer or that McDonald's worker has the flu. But that's not all, folks. That's not all. In addition to this absurd bailout package, which is another corporate bailout, um, you now, I mean, this story is nauseating too. A U.S. woman gets coronavirus treatment bill, 34, almost $35,000. Wait, Joe, I thought you said it's all paid for. 
A woman in the United States says she was billed uh, almost $35,000 after being tested and treated for the coronavirus, Time Magazine reports. When Danny Ascani first came down with the symptoms of the virus, shortness of breath, a fever, a a cough, and migraines, migraines, she was told by a doctor, go to the emergency room. There, she was told she had pneumonia and could go home. She visited the emergency room two more times as her symptoms persisted and worsened before she was finally tested for the coronavirus. Three days later, her results showed she had COVID-19. First, she was told, just go home. You have pneumonia, which I fear a lot of people have been told that wrongly. Uh, not diagnosed with COVID-19. Remember, most places don't have the testing. The tests and her treatment for the viral illness all took place while as Kenny was uninsured, uninsured, and before President Trump signed congressional measures ensuring free diagnostic testing after she got a bill for almost $35,000. Unbelievable. I was pretty sticker shocked. I personally don't know anybody who has that kind of money. Kenny was between jobs and planning to move and start a new role in Washington, D.C. when she was diagnosed with the virus and has since applied for Medicaid in the hope it can retroactively cover her bill. She is now tested, she is now tested negative for COVID-19, but is still taking precautions to recover and isolate. So here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal. Oh, my God, I sound like Joe Biden. Here's the deal, folks. Because Danny's story went national, because her story went national, She'll probably have her bill erased because she made national headlines and the the Republican Party, the Democratic Party and the media will say, oh, that was a mistake. No problem. But how many people like Danny aren't going to have that thirty four thousand dollars, thirty, almost thirty five thousand dollars erased because they didn't get a national story in, in Time magazine? How many people went to go get tested for coronavirus, having all the symptoms and they told them it's not coronavirus, you have the flu. Sorry, because it's not coronavirus. Here's your bill. I promise you there's going to be a lot of cases like that. And because Joe Biden and the Republicans and the Democratic Party, they classify coronavirus as an emergency that we should pay for all of it, but not if you get breast cancer as an emergency, not if you desperately need insulin, but have to ration it as an emergency, not if you, you know, are um, poisoned in Flint. They don't have Medicare for all in Flint. California's had water contamination, other, you know, Native Americans who have cancers because of the mining that has gone on uh, next around their reservations, the drilling that has gone on around their reservations, the water contamination. Not an emergency for them, according to the federal government. So, what this pandemic is showing is we, we've, we already have a pandemic. It's called the United Corporations of America, and you're all at risk. You're all at risk. Honestly, I think Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib has come up with the best plan. And, you know, the Republicans will freak out. She's an anti-Semite. She's, she's this. She's that. She's not. I think this plan is even better than Bernie's plan. And Bernie's plan is good. Rashida Tlaib says, mint the f***ing coin. Uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib released a sweeping proposal to deal with the economic turmoil caused by the novel coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic and ensuing panic. The plan in basic form would, quote, immediately provide a U.S. debit card preloaded with $2,000 to every person in America. Each card would be recharged with $1,000 monthly until one year after the end of the coronavirus crisis, according to a copy of the legislation. The funds would be distributed in the following way. The prepaid cards would be distributed as U.S. debit cards and would be administered by the U.S. Treasury's Bureau of the Fiscal Service. These prepaid digital cash cards could be used to withdraw physical currency at regular ATMs or FDIC-insured banks or credit unions or make payments at point-of-sale terminals as well as online. In addition, these cards could be topped up with additional funds as needed during and after the crisis. All cardholders and interchange fees associated with use of distributed cards would be waived for the duration of the coronavirus crisis. The program would establish a common database of recipients identified by name and or where available, employer identification numbers. Identifying information would not be shared with any other federal, state, or local agency. That one, I don't know. Sounds like an opportunity for the NSA to spy on you. 
But putting that part, that part worries me. But everything else, I think, is great. One of the more interesting aspects of the proposed quick fix law is the price tag for the massive expenditure. It's actually deficit neutral. Quote, this automatic boost to Communities Act would be a money finance fiscal program for which no additional U.S. debt would be issued, Talib's novel piece of legislation notes. Instead, the program would be funded directly from the Treasury using its legal authority to create money via coin signerage, which is a statutory delegation of Congress's constitutional power of the purse, which in English just means what Ben Bernanke has said uh, over and over. Uh, yeah, we could just create the money. You just move a decimal in a computer system, which is what advocates of modern monetary theory have been screaming about forever. Here are the mechanics of how the plan would pay for itself. The Treasury Secretary would direct the U.S. Mint to issue two one trillion platinum coins under the legal authority provided by 31 U.S.C. Blah, 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 blah. Congress would direct the Federal Reserve to purchase the newly issued coins at full face value. The Federal Reserve would complete the purchase by crediting the U.S. Mint's account at the Fed with $2 trillion in reserves. The Fed would retain ownership over the two $1 trillion coins permanently in order to ensure its own balance sheets remain fully capitalized by the Treasury. The Treasury Secretary would sweep the newly created reserve funds from the Mint's account into the regular Treasury general account, and the Treasury would make the funds available to the Bureau of the Fiscal Service to disperse to every person in America in the form of prepaid U.S. debit cards. Talib's proposal was instantly praised by advocates of cash stimulus, both for its thoroughness and providing stimulus payments to Americans amidst the nation's worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, and for its ingenuity in raising the funds. Quote, this is the kind of break-the-glass thinking we need to address the scale of the crisis, tweeted enamored Bloomberg business editor Joe Weisenthal, or Michael Bloomberg could just pay for all this. That would be good, too. Hats off to the Congresswoman Talib for thinking huge in terms of getting money into people's hands and not listening to the but, but how will we pay for it crowd. Let's mint that coin already. Whilst uh, Weisenthal's fulsome uh, post praising the idea resulted in the hashtag uh, MTFC to trend on Saturday. So what I think, this is a great plan, but obviously in the United Corporations, this plan will never actually happen. And I'll tell you why. Why this plan won't happen. Unfortunately, because there's no money in the banks. There's no money in it for the banks. If you cancel the fees for the debit card use, how do the banks make the money? This is money from the Treasury. So if there's no money that Goldman Sachs could make, if there's no money that JP Morgan can make, if there's no money that the pay, you know, um, payday lenders could make, if there's no money in it for the banks and the banks own our politicians, then the politicians are not going to put forth this law. But this is the exact type of legislation that should go out there. Immediate funding to Americans, I would say to undocumented people too, and it refilled for the duration of this crisis. And by the way, I don't think you could exactly put a specific end date on when the coronavirus ends. Because in other countries, Japan is starting to see people that recovered start to get reinfected. So this is an illness that we're still learning about. We don't know how many people could possibly contract it again. They also say, well, we think that as the weather gets better, the virus is less lively. Well, that's a major we think. We don't know. Everybody is learning, including the health experts, are learning all of this on the fly. So technically, in the spring, in the summer, should the virus be less lively and less contagious? Yes, but we don't know. We don't know. So Joe Biden came out on Tuesday after he won uh, uh, Arizona, Florida, Illinois. And by the way, for the record, I know this is going to upset a lot of people. Uh, There's a lot of people out there that are essentially saying Biden isn't really winning the exit polls are showing it's all rigged, all these things. Uh, I'm, I, I have a little higher bar to reach because I'm a journalist. So I'm not going to just tell you that unless I could verify it. And from the research Jen and I have done, particularly in Michigan, we have to do more research. Uh, the exit polls are out of the ordinary, but we do not think that Bernie is, you know, Bernie is losing by 
20 plus points because of exit polls or Bernie is losing by 20 plus points because they're rigging the machines. We don't have any evidence for that. I would like it to be true, but I'm not going to irresponsibly just report that to stir controversy, stir sensationalism. Um, so as of now, Bernie is losing because Bernie's losing. There's reasons for Bernie, lo- Bernie is losing, and I have a lot to show you in a little bit. But I don't think the machines are rigged. I don't have any evidence of that. And I don't think the exit polls are, are all totally skewed. In Michigan, for example, part of the reason the exit polls are so drastically different than the end results is because the exit polls do, did not take into account um, a 97% increase in uh, absentee ballots. The exit polls do not take into account absentee bullet ballots. They had a 97% increase in absentee ballots. So are there, are, is there a lot of voter suppression going on? Absolutely. Uh, but I'm not going to just say exit polls are, you know, significant, are, are the reason that Bernie is losing. It's just we don't have evidence for that. But what we do have evidence for let me tell you something. I mean, I've been following politics for a very long time. If you had a candidate that was well, if you have a candidate that their campaign, the, him, his or her campaign wasn't deathly afraid of putting in front of a camera for extended periods of time, if you had a candidate that was sharp cognitively, you cannot ask for a better opportunity than Donald Trump going in front of national cameras on a daily basis and destroying his presidency. You cannot ask for a better opportunity if you are a challenger to the incumbent president than Donald Trump being contradicted live by his own Corona czar, Dr. Uh, what's that short white guy? Dr. F starts with an F? Fauci. Fauci. Donald Trump just went in front of national television and said, yeah, yeah, we got, we got a vaccine that, that's close. And literally, Dr. Fauci had to go up to the microphone with Donald Trump behind him and be like, uh, essentially saying, um, that's fake news. <laughs> like, didn't actually say fake news, but basically said, um, it's, that's kind of anecdotal. We need evidence. We need testing. We need, you know, you have to do trials and stuff like that. I mean, Donald Trump is a complete and epic disaster, not to mention... Like, I can't think, I can, can you imagine if it was Barack Obama versus Donald Trump? Obama would be doing press conferences every single day, pointing out specifically, and I'm not an Obama major fan, specifically, every dangerous thing Donald Trump was saying, the fact that all of these deaths that are happening right now is because of Donald Trump, because he didn't take the advice of his health experts in January, he told them it was a hoax. This type of aggressive leadership on the Democratic end could actually reach some Trump supporters who, contrary to popular belief, also care about their lives and don't want their grandmas to die and don't want to die themselves. But somehow, the last gen gen checked, the last time Joe Biden has publicly spoken was on Tuesday after he won these three states, by the way, after urging old people to go out and risk their lives for him. Shockingly, shockingly, no one in the media has called Joe Biden out for basically telling people recklessly, if you're feeling healthy, go out and vote. If you're not showing symptoms, go out and vote. Even even though this was completely against what the CDC said. In Florida, there were radio ads urging Floridians to go out and vote to, quote, continue the Obama legacy. Who who, who lives in Florida? A lot of older people. So Joe Biden didn't care. And the last time he spoke, sorry, I don't have the clip up. Honestly, Jen, if you have that clip, can you send it to me? His wife had to come out and like hug him at the end because it looked like he just forgot what he was doing or where he was. I'm not trying to mock him, but at the end of his speech, he just stood there without saying anything, eyes like just staring off into the into the into the wander and joe biden had to come out and hug him and kind of like pull him off stage that was tuesday joe biden has not spoken publicly since he did a call with the press on friday 
but it wasn't a press conference. And he hasn't done anything since then. And apparently, even though he's made from donors upwards of $25 million since Super Tuesday, apparently, well, with all that money, they still can't figure out the internet. Joe Biden says he's in the process of finding a way to directly answer questions every day on camera. I want to be in daily or at least significant contact with the American people and communicate what I, we, what I sh- would be doing and what I think we should be doing. Listen, I mean, status quo, we tried to get Jen on via Skype, we were having tech problems, but I don't have $25 million to figure it out. Statusquo.com slash join, get us closer. Become a member for as low as $5 a month. Um, it's, it's startling. And then you read this article that's written in Politico that's like almost like a ridiculous rationalization for the fact that the Democratic frontrunner, who right now has probably the easiest political layup that any challenger to an incumbent could ask for, a wildly mismanaged outbreak. The White House literally parading around CVS and Target and Quest Diagnostics to save us. Remember when Trump brought out all these corporate executives? We still have no, don't have enough hospital beds. They, literally, people are uh, having to you know, barter masks. You have nurses in hospitals in New York and other places wearing masks, wearing the same mask all week and having to use hand sanitizer to sanitize those masks. But Joe Biden and the media that has been covering for him basically for a year now, they defend him. There's no playbook for this. Biden is trapped in campaign limbo. Joe Biden reached a new and heady milestone when he shellacked Bernie Sanders in Florida, Arizona, and Illinois to become the de facto Democratic nominee. But there was no soaring speech to acknowledge the moment. He never took the stage amid a sea of Biden signs or before an adoring crowd on national TV. Biden was instead stuck in a makeshift studio in his Delaware home, webcasting his remarks with a low-quality personal camera against a straight-out-of-YouTube black backdrop and two American flags. He warned about the coronavirus contagion. He offered an olive branch to Bernie Sanders. Then, despite two consecutive weeks of smashing victories, he all but disappeared from the news cycle for days. I, I just wonder why he's disappearing from the news cycle. Hmm. The moment was a perfect distillation of Biden's current predicament. In a state of suspended political animation, trapped between a rival who refuses to quit and the global pandemic that has all but shut down the Democratic primary campaign. Because Sanders won't quit, Biden can't fully pivot to the general election. He can't truly unite the party's warring factions. Nor can he begin stockpiling the vast amounts of money he'll need for November. His momentum has effectively been stopped cold. Oh, let's burn, let's blame Bernie that, Bi- that Biden hasn't woken up from his five-day nap. A source familiar with the DNC's discussions say the party offered both Biden and Sanders campaigns the opportunity to open joint fundraising accounts. But since Sanders declined, the party is reluctant to enter into one with Biden because of the bad optics of seeming to help one candidate. Oh, now they care about the optics of helping one candidate. Not during the Iowa caucus app scandal. Not after President Obama basically forced everybody out of the field for Uncle Joe. Quote, that's going to eventually hurt Biden with financing if the DNC doesn't go ahead with this, the source said. Stuck at home because of the coronavirus precautions, Biden also can't meet with donors at fundraisers. Oh, terrible. Which in turn may become less lucrative with an economy that's sinking into recession or perhaps worse. It's a tough position, said Matt Littman, who's hosting a virtual fundraiser for Biden next month, that the candidate and the donors will attend through teleconferencing software. Quote, it's harder to raise money when there's no face-to-face meeting and the personal contact, Littman said. And some of the normal people I have to raise money from I can't count on. They have their own concerns. They have to keep their houses. They, the universe of people who will donate money will be smaller. For the foreseeable future, all live campaign events are canceled, so we can't hit the stump to try to capitalize on the excitement he had just stoked. His ability to criticize Trump on anything other than his performance on coronavirus response and preparedness is constrained by the emergency-like conditions. 
As new polling suggests that Trump's approval of responding to the virus is improving, some of Biden's fellow Democrats worry he's paralyzed himself. Quote, Biden is only in limbo if he keeps himself there. He's only in a predicament to the degree he chooses to view himself in one, said Jeff Hauser, a veteran of progressive politics who is head of the Revolving Door Project. Joe Biden can either complain about the fact that he's not getting significant media coverage or he could do something to change that. He needs to offer an alternative and offer a running play-by-play critique of the failings of this administration. Then, the best part of this story. Meanwhile, his staff is scattered, communicating via teleconference, email, and conference call. Some remain holed up in Philadelphia apartments near campaign headquarters, but others went to Washington. A few are near the candidate in Wilmington, Delaware. Another is in the mountains of Puerto Rico. What? Their first step, installing a better video camera in Biden's house, which will soon have broadcast-ready capabilities and high-quality live-streaming software. To limit the risk of infecting the candidate, the number of staffers is limited within the House. The campaign also plans to flood social media with Biden to promote the brand of the former vice president. What's amazing about this? And I think somebody put this out there that really tells the whole story. Look at this. A source with knowledge of the campaign said Biden's team is working on scaling up the infrastructure and dealing with the realities of built Biden's Wilmington home, like the fact that there aren't particularly high ceilings, which could make lighting a challenge. That, that's where lighting was. Uh, I give you the right. Fireside chat on important issues at home with Bernie Sanders and Fez Shakir. You could tune in <laughs> to the live stream now. Uh, the live stream, uh, I don't see really like super high ceilings in Bernie Sanders' house, do you? The lighting, they're using a lamp on the ground. Two lamps on the ground. His live stream looked just fine to me. Folks, let's call this what it is, okay? Joe Biden's campaign doesn't want him in front of the camera reacting to Donald Trump on a day-to-day basis. It is laughable. It is laughable that the Democratic Party establishment, including Silicon Valley, which funds the Democratic Party establishment, in addition to big pharma, big banks, fossil fuels, big real estate, they haven't been able to figure out the tech in Joe Biden's home because the ceilings are too low and lighting is a challenge. That's why Joe Biden hasn't been going. Forget live. How about a few recorded videos a day? How about responding right after Donald Trump's press conferences? Give me a f-ing break, okay? Give me a break. I want to I wanna go through something that I just thought was the most insane article I've ever read from the New York Times. Even more ridiculous than the Russia fear-mongering against Bernie Sanders. Some of it is valid, but a lot of it was just complete bullshit. How it all came apart for Bernie Sanders. How it all came apart for Bernie Sanders. You know, because the blame game begins. And by the way, I don't think Bernie Sanders is going to win, but I also don't think it's over until he until he suspends his campaign. It ain't over. And I think Bernie Sanders is making a major mistake not going live every single day and not basically asking, where is the leadership from President Trump and where is the leader leadership from Joe Biden? So let's look at this, and I want to give you my thoughts, and I'll have Jen get in here too. In mid-January, a few weeks after the Iowa caucus, Senator Bernie Sanders' pollster offered a stark prognosis for the campaign. Mr. Sanders was on track to finish strong in the first three nominating states, but Biden's powerful support from older African Americans could, could make him a resilient foe in South Carolina and beyond. The pollster, Ben Tolchin, in a meeting with campaign ads, recommended a new offensive to influence older black voters, according to three people, three people briefed on his presentation. The data showed two clear vulnerabilities for Biden, his past support for overhauling Social Security and his authorship of a punitive criminal justice law in the 90s. 
but the suggestion was met with resistance. Some senior advisors argued that it was wor wasn't worth diverting resources from Iowa and New Hampshire, people familiar with the campaign deliberations said. Others pressed Mr. Tolchin on what kind of message exactly would make voters rethink their support for the most loyal ally of the first black president. Crucially, and this right here is the most important thing, Bernie and his wife Jane consistently expressed reservations about going negative on Biden, preferring to stick with the left-wing policy message they have been pressing for 40 years. Right there to me, and there's a lot of other reasons about how it came apart, right there was the main reason. Uh, I, don't, I think the media was about 60% of it, and I think 40% of it was Bernie Sanders himself. The bottom line is Bernie Sanders, and this began in 2016 and continued now, Bernie Sanders decided he's going to launch a revolution, but he's never going to throw any punches at his opponents. Barely threw any punches against Hillary Clinton. And honestly, the, the biggest punch he threw was in the last debate against Joe Biden, where he, to me, kind of passively aggressive, was like, wait a minute, Joe, you didn't stand on the Senate floor and call for cuts to Social Security? It was never direct. It was never assertive. It was never, frankly, just going for the jugular. And frankly, say what you want about Donald Trump. I, I wouldn't suggest you borrow any traits from him. But a big reason he won in 2016 is he just didn't give a f He called them all corrupt. He named names, he called them puppets, and people responded to that. And frankly, this argument that, well, Democratic voters are different, they wouldn't like that. No, I don't think they are. I think people like a fighter. I think people like somebody willing to call it out. I think people, if, if, you're, gonna ask for, if you're gonna ask people to, to, to get on this train with you for a radical change, you need to explain to them why this person is a threat. Not just read to me very academically about their votes, but why this person voted for those things, why they are corrupt. Uh, I think one of the turning points was Bernie's surrogate, Zephyr Teachout, wrote a piece in The Guardian calling Joe Biden corrupt. Bernie Sanders immediately clammed up and went on TV and said uh, or made a statement uh, basically denouncing his own surrogate and saying, I don't think Joe Biden's corrupt. Well, you're doing the Biden's campaigns work for them. Bernie Sanders was never going to be the person willing to lead, in, lead a hostile takeover of the Democratic Party. It's not the only reason he is not winning. It's not the only reason he's probably going to lose, but it's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. Bernie Sanders was just never willing to do what needed to be done. I don't think it's the only reason he lost because what he, what he was doing, we're, we're all, you know, we all are experts after the fact. But not a lot of people were criticizing Bernie when he was on 60 Minutes as the frontrunner like 30 days ago. Remember how quickly this all turned. Everybody was saying, oh, Bernie's doing the right thing. His campaign's doing the right thing. Their organizing efforts are doing the right thing. He won Iowa. He won New Hampshire. He clobbered the competition in Nevada. He's got the wind behind his sails. So not everybody was playing armchair quarterback when Bernie was doing very well. But the problem is Bernie has what I think is a very uh, admirable idea about politics. We're going to win on the issues, but also a highly naive idea about politics. You don't win in politics just based on the issues. If, if the American people were informed by the media, maybe you could win just on the issues. But because the American people are not confirmed, uh, informed, that's why we need a status quo in America. So Bernie and Jane basically never allowed the campaign to go on an all-out assault on Joe Biden. The warnings about Mr. Biden proved prescient. Two months later, Sanders is all but vanquished in the Democratic presidential race after Biden resurrected his campaign in South Carolina and built an overwhelming coalition of black voters and white moderates on Super Tuesday. While Mr. Sanders has not ended his bid, he has fallen far behind Mr. Biden in the delegate count and has taken to trumpeting his success in the battle of ideas rather than arguing he is still, still has a path to the nomination. I remind you, over 50% of the country has not yet voted. His effort to regain tractions has faltered in recent weeks as the coronavirus pandemic has frozen the campaign and perhaps heightened the appeal 
abide in safe and steady image. This is where I go back to what I was saying. Right now, Bernie has a massive opportunity. Biden is missing in action. The media will be forced to start wondering, where is Joe Biden if Bernie Sanders is front and center all over the place? Why he's not doing that? Why his campaign is not doing that? It's both good politics and good for the situation. We need leadership right now. Donald Trump isn't offering that leadership. There is a huge vacuum of leadership right now, and Bernie Sanders and his campaign could be filling it. I'm not calling for them to do daily live streams and push people to go to BernieSanders.com and leave $10 or leave money. I'm not talking about him fundraising. I'm not talking about him talking about even the campaign, but just leading. Yes, he's done two live streams, a couple videos, but I say Bernie Sanders should be doing a daily live stream immediately in response after Donald Trump's press conferences. If Biden isn't going to do it, you have the opportunity to do it. And people are going to start wondering in those other states, shouldn't this be Joe Biden doing this? Bernie, have the National Nurses part of your live streams if you could set up the tech. I I just don't understand. I know some of you don't like me criticizing Bernie, but, you know, we got to be real here. So... I'm going to read a little bit more of this. In the view of some of Sanders' advisors, the candidate's abrupt decline was a result of unforeseeable and highly unlikely events. Most of all, the sudden withdrawal of two major candidates, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, who instantly threw their support to Mr. Biden and helped spur rapid coalescing of moderate support behind his campaign. Yeah, the New York Times kind of left out that Barack Obama was behind the whole thing. Mr. Sanders had been on the brink of winning his pollster said, until the most unprecedented event in the history of presidential primaries occurred. But interviews with more than three dozen Sanders aides, elected officials, activists, and other people who worked with his campaign revealed a more extensive picture of his reversal of political fortune. Through Mr. San- Though Mr. Sanders climbed to a position of seeming dominance by mid-February, he and his inner circle also made a serial f- series of fateful decisions that left him ill-positioned to win over skeptical Democrats and sorely vulnerable to an opponent with Mr. Biden's strengths. Sanders proved unable to expand his base well beyond the left or to win over African Americans in meaningful numbers. He failed to heed warnings from traditional party leaders and even from within his campaign about the need to modulate his message and unify Democrats. He allowed internal arguments to fester within his campaign, an ungainly operation that fragmented into factions beneath the only two real decision makers, Sanders and his wife. Though outwardly amiable, Sanders' inner circle fractured between some long-serving counselors and relative newcomers like Fez Shakir, his campaign manager. Mr. Shakir and others regarded pleas for Mr. Tolchin and other pugilistic aides, David Sirota, to go on the attack against Mr. Biden as both futile and annoyingly predictable, while Mr. Shakir's internal critics saw him as exceedingly territorial. So, I'm not going to read the rest because a lot of it is just kind of, you know, uh, Bernie not going on the offense, squabbling between the campaign. But to me, to me, there is two major reasons. There's two major reasons that Bernie Sanders is probably not going to win the Democratic nomination. I hate to burst your bubble. I'd love to, you know, toy with you and give you false hope, but I'm not going to do that. He's probably not going to win the nomination. It actually wouldn't surprise me if he suspends his campaign soon. To me, the number one reason Bernie Sanders is not going to win has nothing to do with anything that was put in that article. The New York Times briefly touched on it in that article, but this is the real thing here. Mr. Biden's, after his South Carolina victory, Mr. Biden, incredible 72 hours between his victory in South Carolina and the first poll closings on Super Tuesday exerted a kind of gravitational pull rarely seen in politics. Three opponents dropped out, Pete, Amy, and Tom Steyer, and then three rivals endorsed him in a dramatic fashion on Monday in Dallas, Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, and Beto O'Rourke. Political operatives marveled at the thoroughness and spread of his consolidation of support. Kevin Kate. Kevin Kate, 
a former advisor to Tom Steyer, noted that the cumulative value of Mr. Biden's final three days of almost pure positive media coverage, that's an understatement. I would just say a giant super PAC in three days. Biden got a staggering amount of $72 million of essentially free advertising across the media. We're talking CNN, MSNBC, all the print outlets. $72 million in three days. Put it, adding to that, add local media in those markets, and it easily tops $100 million worth of earned media in 72 hours. And this guy, Kevin Katte, is an uh, advertising professional. Voters in those Super Tuesday states made their decisions, a lot of them, I think in some states it was 40 to 50 percent of voters decided in the final days before the campaign, before those Super Tuesday states, and you have 70, over $100 million, according to advertising executives, in essentially a propaganda campaign. Does that possibly influence voters to think, oh yeah, Biden's the most electable now? Uh, this is also nauseating. I mean, Elizabeth Warren was dead to me long ago, but now she's dead and I'm not going to visit her graveyard. Jordan. Politically, I don't wish her. So, you know, Elizabeth, uh, I'm going to run my entire campaign against super PACs and then have a super PAC in the final stretch there. Uh, the donors who funded her super PAC were just disclosed. Ooh, it's a doozy here. Uh, former president candidate Warren's biggest political donor to her super PAC was recently revealed to also have given a substantial amount in donations to a major political ally, ally of President Trump. According to Shane Goldmacher, national reporter for the New York Times, recent filings show that Warren's Persist PAC was almost entirely funded by Silicon Valley mega donor Carla Jervertson. In total, Jervertson donated a mammoth. $14.6 million to support Warren's campaign. This is the same Carla Jurvetson, by the way, that gave a massive donation to the DNC earlier in the campaign cycle, which allowed Elizabeth Warren to gain access to the voter file data. So Jurvetson gave $14 million to Elizabeth Warren's super PAC. Uh, Jurvetson's main, she mainly supported Democratic candidates such as Warren. She also gave another large contribution to the tune of $2.7 million to the 2018 Senate run of former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Woo! Man, that is strange. That is a strange political mind there. Support Sheriff Joe. You know, round him up, Sheriff Joe in Arizona. At the same time, support Elizabeth Warren. Arpaio, an outspoken Trump supporter, has been one of the most vilified figures on the left due to his, uh, excuse me, due to his tough stance on immigration. He has been the subject of multiple civil rights lawsuits after being accused of racial profiling and abuse of power. Arpaio also earned contempt of com court conviction, though he was later pardoned by President Trump. Moreover, Warren has previously spoken harshly about Arpaio, even releasing a statement on her website in 2017 after news of his pardon. Quote, speaking of making America less safe, President Trump and Sheriff Joe are two of a kind. Both believe the law doesn't apply to them and have used their office to create a platform for racism and bigotry. No one, not Trump and not Arpaio, is above the law. So, yeah. Pretty much our whole super PAC was funded by Carla Jurvetson, who happens to be the ex-wife of a massive Silicon Valley billionaire. I forget who she was married to. Um, I've seen some profiles of her. Generally, she supports female candidates. I think she's given money to Kirsten Gillibrand and others. But she's given money to a highly, highly racist, highly, highly uh, fascist, xenophobic, Sheriff Joe. In fairness, in fairness to Elizabeth Warren, I don't know if she knew everybody that was funding that super PAC. My assumption is she knew. I don't know if she knew that Carla Jurvetson had given money to Sheriff Joe. But it just shows you with super PACs, there's nobody really that clean donating millions and millions of dollars 
to super PACs. You know, when the media and uh, Biden tried to make it seem like, Bernie, you have a super PAC, and they were classifying, like, Sunrise Movement as a super PAC, Our Revolution as a super PAC, National Nurses United as a super PAC. It's a joke. You know who national? You know who funds National Nurses Super PAC? Uh, uh, the nurses, not Carla Jurvetson. You know who funds our revolution? The largest contribution they had last year was $25,000. You know, hardly corruption. Her former husband, Stephen Jurvetson, is an American business and venture capitalist, formerly a partner of the firm Draper Fisher Jurvetson. Uh, he was an early investor in Hotmail, Memphis Meets, Mythic, and Nirvana. He is currently a board member of SpaceX and Tesla, among others. He later co-founded the firm Future Ventures with Mariana Sanko, who worked with him at DFJ. DFJ was an early financial backer of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Oh, God. You remember Theranos? Who Joe Biden, by the way, supported. That blood-sucking corporation. Uh, there's a great documentary on Theranos, I think, on HBO. So, Elizabeth Warren, you know, you didn't need this particularly to show that, like, the emperor has no clothes, but the emperor has no clothes. And I will say this, I will say this, uh, I don't have the clip up, it's not even worth it. When she was on The View this week and they challenged her on, like, why have you still not endorsed? I mean, it's just, I don't know who gives Elizabeth Warren political advice. I don't know who Elizabeth Warren's got, like North Star is on politics. I don't know if it's just her who decides these things, but I, she has the worst, I mean, other than Hillary Clinton, she has the worst political instincts I have ever seen. She, she, I mean, at this point, just endorse Biden and put us out of our misery, okay? Have some spine. If she decides to run for Senate again in, in 2024, I will be... Well, I'm a journalist, but I will be covering whoever is her primary challenger, and I will go up there for that to Massachusetts. She needs to be primaried. She needs to be gone. And see, that's why I was saying earlier, we can't be progressively pure. We could believe these things, but I still say it would have been smart for Bernie to say, screw it, be my vice president, stem the momentum that Biden had with Pete, Amy dropping out, everybody coalescing. If Warren would have came out and supported him, in those, in those hours, it would have neutralized the media momentum Biden had. It would have rallied, yes, progressives. A lot of progressives wouldn't have been happy. But it would have given Bernie a, a victory in the news cycle. But that doesn't mean we have to like Warren. But sometimes progressives need to pause the purity and do some things we don't want to do to win. When you win, then we lead the charge against the oligarchy.